Conquering Lying Vanities by Bill Lykoa Joshua Preface we, If we desire to conquer lying vanities in every area of our lives, we must draw a contrast between philosophy and religion. There's a huge difference between these two realms of thought. For instance, philosophy makes no claims to mystical powers of divine revelation. Religion, on the other hand, lays emphasis on divine revelation. Whatever form of religion it may be, apart from true Christianity, it is, has an intrusion of mystic powers. Philosophy largely tries it as best as it can by human reason and experience to form brave theories about the world as a whole and the meaning of human life. Though these philosophical faults tend to please human intellect, will, and emotion, they do not add eternal value to human life. False religion also tends to bend on mystical powers and pagan worship. Thus, the true revelation of God as the divine creator of heaven and earth isn't brought into the limelight. It is my conceited effort, therefore, to shed more light on the negative impact philosophical ideas have had in shaping human society, how the Holy Scriptures can address those false ideas, and they have exhausted themselves, exalted themselves above the Word of God, have an eternal passion to explore the vitality of God, the very foundation of human life. If it, we can have the proper understanding while being aided by the Holy Spirit, we will find true satisfaction, life, wealth and contentment in God, not the f- philosophy or heretic religion. National depression gave birth to Stoicism. Plato nearly despaired of human society when he stared at misgovernment and the fall of Athens. Man had become too proud of himself while enjoying the lucrative lifestyles of a philosophical world. Unfortunately, that perverted view of life had been crushed under the selfish ambition of Macedonian militarism. The influence of paganism on the political, social and economic systems of Greece had been destroyed. At the same time, educated Greece had experienced the boredom and reality of Olympian gods. Most people had run away from local worships because they lost faith in the providence of gods in the pagan shrines. Human life was devastated, the world very incomprehensible. Zeno, the first teacher of Stoicism, looked at the disillusionment that surrounded the philosophical world of fallen Greece. He laid down facts and reasons based on human living. To him, taking care of nature was the primary goal of God. In that case, man's sole purpose was to take good care of nature, creation, his fellow being, Zeno reckoned that understanding to be 
reflection of goodness, goodness in man. He believed that anything parallel to goodness was badness. It seemed to Zeno that the fall of Greece was attributed to man's failure to care for his fellow being and natural creation. Though that was the case, he also affirmed that the end in caring of nature was meaningless. It was mere vanity of life. There was a cynical school that was connected to Stoicism. It was a, was a ludicrous Stoicism, without much philosophy or intellectual culture. Its main doctrine with the Stoic was the same. Nothing is good apart from goodness. Goodness was interpreted strictly in the ethical sense. Hence, they had a heated war against the vanities of the this world. They fought against vice, wealth, rank, culture, learning, politeness, and every other form of development. A true cynic reduced his needs to the minimum. He liked to live as a dog. However, being a man, he needed a blanket to warm him, to separate his body from the gold ground. He needed a stick to ward off biting dogs. For a shelter, the famous Diogenes slept in an earthen jar. A kind of Jews of coffin in the early days. The cynic lived in a, a very pathetic life. Epicurean was a great rival of the Stoic school. Epicurus preached against the wretched superstition and enslavement of the common man. For example, the Stoics had remotely distanced themselves from the very affairs of human life. Such a caged life was strange in the eyes of the mind of the Epicurus. While exploring the simple facts and realities of human nature, he believed that all living things pursue what gives them happiness and pleasure. Epicurus and his disciples devoted adequate time to seeking out pleasure and happiness without achieving true satisfaction and contentment. They received temporal tranquility and were inwardly wretched people on earth. We continue to see that thinking commonly repeated by most people in our modern world today, eternal life is not reflected in such beliefs. To Epicurious, true pleasure could be best attained by cultivating contentment and nature, natural affections, taming desires, loving other human beings and getting rid of fear. Only then could man's soul be rescued from terror and trouble. Seeing man flee from fear was an ambition of epic curious. He exposed the falsehood of supernatural fears of angry gods. He believed in the blessedness of God, not a terrifying God, certain pain, a fear of all creation. However, as keen observers of this philosophic mindsets, we see a missing mark. There is no significant truth that can save our lives from the vanities of life. Both Stoicism and Epicureanism never provided society with eternal knowledge. Their philosophies did not move further into the inner realm of mankind to evoke a true revelation of God. God is, was not a true factor in humanity. As man was limited to the sensual and intellectual realms of knowledge, 
More still, those philosophy behaviors, philosophical behaviors, been creeping to humanity from one generation to another, even today. At the coming Christianity, those mindsets started penetrating the Church of Christ. These their seeds, vanity, were, and are continuing to plant it in the Church. However, the truth of God's word has conquered it for all generations. There are two methods Satan deploys to destroy God's servants and the church. L.T. Kendall, in his book, Out of the Comfort Zone, helps us to understand his methods. He calls them murder and mixture. Kendall says that in the first method, the devil tries to intimidate and kill God's servants. The second method forces them to make an error's physiological deception stemming from the wrong teachings of scripture is a cardinal yardstick what the devil deploys to frustrate the purpose of God cultivating into a vanity church. If a philosophical philosophical mindsets were not tamed earlier through deeper teachings of God's infallible word, the church of Christ is prone to no further despite the fact she cannot be destroyed. When Christianity was seeing enormous success in the world full of mystic religion and intellectual philosophy, Apostle Paul wrote to combat the controversies of philosophy and began permutating the church of Corinth. He wrote, And my speech and my preaching was not with exciting words of man's wisdom, but in his demonstration of spirit and power, power that their, your faith should be not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2.4-5 Philosophy pleases man's intellect, yet it doesn't have life in it. Life is found on, in God alone. Paul preached the world word of truth in the city of Corinth, and tremendous revolution was wrought in the lives of those believers. The spirit of truth that accompanies Paul's message changed them in all aspects of life. The believers were led not to trust and hope in man's philosophical mindsets, but in the power of God to save them. Jesus Christ is an epitome of of power to save us from the vanities of our lives. He is a source of divine wisdom and empowerment for us to conquer every thought pattern that contrary to God, his word of truth. As you progress through the book, you will discover that Christ is a final quest in man. Thus it should be your mandate to help him, the central character in your life. He is all in all.